0: It's something for nothing. The Rush fan cast, Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, we've made it to the end of Hold Your Fire yet again. How cool is this? It's very cool. You know, when you told
1: me at the beginning that it was going to be five podcasts, (laughs) I was like, why is it going to be five podcasts? (laughs) Because there's 10 songs. We can't just squeeze them all into one episode. We've got lots to talk about. It seemed like it was going to take a long time. And I guess with the interruptions, it did take a long time.
0: It did take a long time, but we're wrapping it up today with two very cool guests, and I can't wait to introduce them again to you. We've had them on the podcast before, but first, I should tell you, you can find us on Twitter, at RushFanCast, Instagram, find us at The Rushcast. email Jerry, TheRushCast at gmail.com. He loves your emails. Tell him about your life. Tell him about your Rush origin story. He loves to hear it. I do. TheRushCast at gmail.com. Lex did the bass intro and outro. And Jerry, I know you've got an email to get us started.
1: Of course I do. This is from Mike. What's up, Mike? He says, I just got a chance to listen to the interview with Morgan Woolsey. Oh, nice. What a great interview. I purchased a copy of that book, which was like Alex's big, beautiful book of guitars. And I was thoroughly impressed by the layout, formatting, and even the packaging. Wow. And to hear the process from Morgan, and then learn that this was her first attempt at putting one of those together. It's just mind-blowing. Anyway, keep up the great content and the witty banter. Another witty banter. We have witty banter? (laughs) Um, this, This would be the perfect time for me to come up with something witty to say. Man, I blew it. I look forward to every episode and use them as a sort of treat for myself. So if it's been a rough week, it's time to listen to an episode of Something for Nothing. There you go. I just finally received a copy of The Star's Look Down, Tribute to Neil, Volume 2. I purchased two copies, one to play and one to pass on to my kids, and I'm very happy with it. I also watched a video of Maya Wynn unboxing a deluxe copy of Envy of None. Did you see that video? I did not. I want to, though. Her vinyl was a baby blue color. Mine is a dark blue translucent. What color is yours? He asks. Wow. Mine is also the dark blue. I didn't get mine yet. I think it's a dark blue. Should I go check? I'm pretty sure it's
0: dark blue. I don't know. Why didn't I get mine yet? That's the better question. <laughs> I don't know, Steve. Lost in the mail, maybe. Possibly. Somebody
1: in some mailroom somewhere is listening <laughs> to it. Quick question. Is there an ongoing consolidated list of worldwide Rush tribute bands anywhere? Jeez, I have no idea. I have no idea either, but I'm sure somebody does. Are we the people to ask that? No, but we are the people to ask other people
0: Ah, to find
1: out the answer to that. There you go. So if anyone knows if there is a list somewhere of all of the worldwide Rush tribute bands, which I'm sure there are tons of, let us know and I'll let Mike know. Uh, He finishes with thanks again and rush on.
0: Nice. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate you listening. Thanks so much for the email. And Jerry, you know we like to talk about other podcasts that we enjoy. Yes. Yes. Have you ever listened to Song Exploder? Oh, yeah. I love Song Exploder. This week, I listened to the episode on Rick Astley. No. I I Rickrolled myself, Jerry. I can't (laughs) get the song out of my head. Uh Uh-oh. That's funny. It was endlessly fascinating, though. Who's the new host of that? I don't remember the host name, but it's so well done. It is so well done. There's also a a Netflix show, which is also great. Which is also great, yeah. But I really don't like the song never going to give you up, but it was so fascinating to hear how it was put together and to hear Rick Astley's story. It was just amazing.
1: Well, that's the great thing about a good idea. They take apart these songs all the time. And you're like, you didn't even like the song and you're like, that's just so fascinating how it came about and what the different tracks are while they're playing all playing together. You can't really hear them, but if you hear them isolated, you're like, wow, that was pretty cool.
0: And now I can't get it out of my head. Yeah never gonna give you up (laughs) are you gonna sing steve (laughs) i don't know i think we should get into our guest jar that's most important today for sure yes we're on track nine of hold your fire before we introduce our guest jar let's listen to tai shan Help us with your favorite song, Shan. We've got another previous guest joining us on the podcast. He was back with us on episode 91. If you recall, he walked coast to coast to raise money for cancer research in Neil's memory. Jared Schofer, welcome back to the Rush Fancast.
2: Thanks for having me. It's awesome to be back.
0: So Jared, before we get started talking about Shan, why don't you tell us how much money you ended up raising on your walk? We'd love to hear it.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, um, I wound up raising just over $45,000. Oh, wow. Yeah, really cool. And I'll tell you, there were 50 donations of (laughs) $21.12. Really?
0: (laughs) That's awesome.
2: Yeah. So that's at least a thousand, probably from random people. That's awesome. Yeah. It was cool. Um, That was, I did like all the statistics at the end. And yeah, that was the, how do you say it? It was like the most often donated amount. Great.
0: So before we get started, I've got a quote. This is from an article on iHeartRadio, Getty Lee talking about Tai Shan. It's just one of those songs that Alex and I like to make fun of, Lee said in response to a question about why he once called the song a mistake. Guys and bands really need all the ammunition we can get to make fun of each other, he continued. It just sort of landed on Tai Shan. I recognize that some people love that song and I don't feel as harshly about it as I may have. It's just a really good reason to kid Neil. Oh, look at that. <laughs> so maybe Getty and Alex don't hate it as much as we think they do, Jer. Yeah, maybe not.
1: I've gotten a lot of flack over the years because of the things I've said about Taishan emails where people are just like, you're crazy. You know what I mean? Like, how dare you not like this song? You know, like Rush. Fans should love every song. But here's my opinion of this that I've formulated over the years. So let's hope it's a good one. Steve, you know that I like to eat just about anything, right? There isn't like uh-huh. anything that you could put in front of me except for maybe, you know, culturally verboten things like a live cricket or something like that that I'm not going to eat, right? But every once in a while, you talk to people who just like, you're like, oh, you want to go out to dinner? Sure. Where do you want to go to dinner? It's like Chinese food. No, I don't like, you know, too much starch or, you know what I mean? Like they, they, no matter what you mention, they're just like, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't <laughs> like that. I don't like that. I don't like spicy food. I don't like salty food. I don't like whatever it is. Right. And then eventually I'll be like, yeah, I understand what you mean because I don't like peanut butter. And as soon as I mentioned that I don't like peanut butter, people lose their minds. They just spent the last five <laughs> minutes telling me all the foods they can't stand. And the one food I don't like is peanut butter. And people are like, I can't believe you don't like peanut butter. That's how I feel about people's reaction when I say I don't like Tai Shan. There's so many Rush songs that are so great that I love, but I don't like Tai Shan. What am I gonna do? Do you know what I mean? It's just the peanut butter for me. I'm not sure what to say.
0: I can't believe you don't like Tai Shan, Jar. I thought you were gonna say you don't like peanut butter. And
1: Jared's right now, like he's just like, man, I was just gonna have a jar of peanut butter for dinner.
2: I cannot believe you're comparing Tai Shan to peanut butter. See what I mean? <laughs> You see what
1: I've been going through for years now?
2: Not really. Peanut butter is very universal. Tai Shan is not.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that's it. true.
0: So Jared, the first time you joined us on the podcast, you told us about how you personally climbed to the top of Tai Shan. So why don't you recount that for us in a little bit greater detail and how it relates to the lyrics of the song?
2: Sure. Yeah, well. Okay. In two thousand twelve I went to China for the first time and I was planning to hit some of the the highlights, the hot spots like Beijing, Shanghai, and go to see like the Terracotta Warriors and Xi'an and just kind of do like a loop, sort of start in Beijing and then work my way to Shanghai and then kind of head more west and then back to Beijing. And I left a lot of time and yeah, I'm a Huge Rush fan. And uh, I looked on the map and there I saw Tai Shan, and it's not that far from Beijing. And it's kind of in between Xi'an and Beijing. And I thought, I like to get off the beaten path sometimes. So I was just like, oh, what the heck? I'll give it a whirl, you know, go there and see what it's like and see what Neil really, you know, experienced. So I, I, I took a train there and let me tell you you do not book train travel last minute in China because if you do you'll be standing and so i had to take an overnight train it was like a 10 hour train ride and all i had was like sro standing room only and oh gosh somebody gave me their seat but you know i was just i fell asleep at one point just sitting you know and and then ultimately the morning came and At the time, I did not speak any Chinese and I can speak a little now, but uh, there were two train stops, Taishan, like the city and then Taishan, the mountain. And I had no clue which one was which, which one was coming first. And luckily someone like looked at my ticket and they were like, oh, I'll tell you which one you want. And so I got off and I grabbed like a hotel room, just like kind of slept for a while. And then a friend of mine from Beijing met me. We had some dumplings and then, yeah, we set off to go climb tai shan and uh it's it's pretty cool i mean it has like it really does have around seven thousand steps and it's just steps and you just have to go up them and it's one of these cool things where you can sort of see all the steps like as you go so you pretty much can see the entire climb you know as you make your way up it so do you
0: have a greater appreciation jared for this song having climbed to the top of the mountain. I guess the question I'm asking is if Getty and Alex had experienced what you <laughs> experienced, would they have liked the song more than they did?
2: I think they would. Yeah. I think they would kind of get it to some degree. I mean, I don't think there's much about Tai Shan that sets it off from, you know, like a few other mountains in China, for example, but that just happens to be the one that Neil climbed and had that, I don't know, like spiritual experience. And yeah, I think if they made fun of Neil, he should have said, well, go climb it and then talk to me, you know, then see <laughs> how you feel. Um, I climbed it. And I will tell you that when I got to the top, I listened to the song, <laughs> you know, and I kind of looked around and um, I even took a video of myself doing this and uh, yeah, just kind of tried to see if I could experience what, Neil was experiencing um also I have to tell you this story this is unbelievable on the climb okay if you go to China as someone who looks like me a lot of times people just want to take their photo with you and that's fine I don't mind I love it I think it's really fun and like it's a good way to get to know people and well this kid came up to me and was like may I have a photo with you and you won't believe what he was wearing he was wearing a hat that said rush On the hat.
1: Wow. (laughs) Was it a Rush hat? Or
2: did it just have the word Rush on it? I think it was just the word Rush because it was in like a logo, but it wasn't one of like, you know, the 19 album logos. (laughs) It was just, I mean, if I had to pick one, it kind of looked like Tess Reco, but it was red. And I couldn't believe it. And normally what happens is they just take a photo with their camera and we move on. But I was like, no, no, no. I need one as well with you, with my camera. And so I took this photo with this kid. I just couldn't believe he stopped me. And he's wearing a hat that says Rush on it. I'm just like, I can't make this stuff up. Right. Yeah, it was crazy. So, And I just sat up there for like, yeah, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes and looked to the Eastern Sea. China, saying to me, we can all make the jokes, I guess. But um, I think it was just really cool to sort of, think about this you know weird song that's just much maligned i guess and think about while i was doing it like what moved neil to want to write a song about this experience i
1: have to tell you over the years and particularly because of something i did with the people over at uh, rush fans for their youtube channel where i listened to the song like 20 times in one week for a thing called stick it out i have to say i like the song a little bit better than i used to so there's that
2: well that's funny I, i'm doing stick it out season two now that's right
3: <laughs> yeah
2: and um i was actually really disappointed that none of the other panelists put tai shan on there. <laughs> 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 because i wanted to uh you know i figured oh there's got to be someone who's going to put tai shan on there but no and um and i watched you on it jerry and yeah um I wouldn't say it's not like a favorite of mine, and it's probably still a bottom ten or twenty Rush song, in my opinion. I don't know; it's still a very low song on Hold Your Fire, but uh, when I listen to it, yeah, I just have a different appreciation. I mean, it's a very weird song, and it has a driving bass line. At least I can give it that. Well, that was what I found. I think is
1: that you know, uh, over the week, the song was stuck in my head. I could, I was found myself like humming parts of the song. So, you know, in some respects, the music I really like. I think maybe one of my, the reason why I don't like the song that much is that there's not much in the lyrics to really kind of chew on. Do you know what I mean? It's a very straightforward song about going to China and climbing this mountain. It's just, you know, it's just, it's a very straightforward song. I like to, you know, work on lyrics and try to figure out what songs are about. And I know what the song is about. So maybe that's why it doesn't hold as as much for me as other songs.
0: Well, here's something we can chew on. We don't have to go through all the lyrics, but if you raise your hands to heaven, you will live a hundred years. Now, Jared, did you raise your hands to heaven? Number one. And do you believe that has extended your life?
2: (laughs) Okay. I definitely did raise my hands to heaven. I'm going to interpret the lyrics as meaning you will live a hundred years from that point. So, you know, Oh really? Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I definitely did that. Uh, yeah, I guess I see what Jerry is saying. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just very narrative, right?
1: It's a very narrative song. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, it's, here's what
2: happened. Yep.
0: <laughs> right. Which is, you know, great. <laughs> But I guess, I guess the legend states that if you raise your hands to heaven, you will live 100 years, right? I mean, it's a Chinese legend, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I looked for that, like, <laughs> you know, written somewhere um, on the mountain, but I wouldn't, couldn't come across it. But it is known as one of these sacred mountains. I think there's five of them, and this is known as one of them. And it's like a UNESCO World Heritage Site. I don't know if you want to pick apart more of the lyrics, Steve.
0: The clouds were suddenly parted. For a moment, I could see the patterns of the landscape reaching to the eastern sea. I looked upon a presence spanning forty centuries. This was a religious experience for Neil, don't you think?
1: Okay, you picked out probably the the, the best lyrics in the song. That's a very poetic way to describe you know, the history of a country in as, as few words as possible. You know what I mean? You go up to the top of this mountain and you could just you probably overcome. As I'm shoot sure your word, Jared, just by the the history of where you're standing. I mean, so many people have been there before, and it probably is awe-inspiring, at least a
0: little bit.
2: Yeah, as religious as it gets for Neil, I think we could say that. Spiritual, I guess mm-hmm. I would call it. Yeah.
0: I thought of time and distance, the hardships of history. I heard the hope and the hunger when China sang to me. Hey, look, the more we talk about this, the more I like it.
1: Yeah, Steve, what is your view of this song? I don't remember your view of this song.
0: I mean, I don't love it. I mean, I wouldn't put it in my, you know, top 20 Rush songs, but I I don't know if I would put it near the bottom. I would put it maybe, I don't know, 20 from the bottom maybe? That's pretty much near the bottom, Steve. What are you talking about? Well, it's near the bottom, but you put it in your bottom five probably, right? Uh, No, I think
1: I, yeah. Or the
0: last one.
1: Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, it's definitely the bottom five. But really... Is there much difference between a, the bottom five and the bottom 15 or 20?
0: I don't, I don't think so, Steve. I don't know. I think, I think there's a difference.
2: There might be, Jerry, because I think what Steve's getting at is like, is it a Rush song that you dislike? Because there's probably very few that we would say we dislike. That's true. Okay.
1: That is very true.
2: And if it's in your bottom five, then yeah, maybe it's like, is it something that you wish was not part of their catalog? <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's true. There are songs, admittedly, not Rush songs, but other songs that I just hate, right? I hate some songs. I just hate them. I never want to listen to them.
2: Can we get an example?
1: Uh, (laughs) One of my least favorite songs is Feel Like Making Love. (laughs) (laughs) Baby. (laughs) I hate that song. I hate everything about that song. And I never want to hear that song again. I don't feel the same way about Taishan. So no, I guess I don't hate the song. I hate Feel Like Making Love, but I don't hate this song.
2: Any rough songs you would say you hate?
1: No, probably not. I mean it's 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 you know, we're talking comparatively, right? Yeah. (laughs) We're talking compared to Xanadu. You know, Rivendell is not a great song compared to Xanadu. Is Rivendell better than Feel Like Making Love? Absolutely.
3: (laughs) Wow.
0: to me just to me i just think because this song meant something to neil it means something to me as a rush fan because neil had this religious experience on the top of this mountain that's the reason i like it or don't dislike it all right
2: i also think there's the aspect of they really tried something different with this one and i appreciate that because that's a real component of rush and It didn't land. And I think I saw another interview with Getty. I'm pretty sure it was Tai Shan. He was saying something like talking about songs they will never play live. And he was like, if people want to see Tai Shan, then we're going to have a lot of disappointed fans.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So one more thing that there's some controversy sort of around about this song is the instrumentation. Do you think it's too stereotypical Asian? I've read that in places. Do you think that's true?
2: It seems to be. I mean, people have said that about the the passage to Bangkok right. little part mm-hmm. too, and I don't know why. That's just a tiny little riff, but or was that the point of this song? I mean, it really goes. It doubles down. It goes all in. I think so. Right. I'm not sure that that makes that that's if that's true. That's that, that it's necessarily a bad thing.
0: I think you're right. I think it was done deliberately. Neela mentioned in. Backstage, this is a quote from Backstage Club in 1991. The flute from this song is a sampled shakuhachi flute. I built the drum patterns around the woodblock rhythm that the Buddhist monks use for their chants. Subtle, but a nice touch of authenticity, wow. I think. It is indeed Amy Mann in there near the end, only she's not exactly singing anything. We took her voice from one of the other songs, Time Stands Still, and played it backwards, just a nice texture, which gave an eerie pseudo Chinese sound. So he was trying to make it sound Chinese.
1: Yeah. I think there's a difference between appreciating something and I don't know, ruining it. So I think it was, this song was definitely done with an air of appreciation.
2: Wow. Another backwards thing, like the chain lightning solo.
1: (laughs) 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 Yeah, really? I didn't know that. Now I have to listen to the song again, Steve. Now you
0: have to listen to it again. This is great. Thank you.
2: The whole discography of Rush backwards.
1: Like, what happens? <laughs> <laughs> what else is in there? What else are they saying to us backwards?
0: Well, Jared, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your experience on the top of tai Shan and helping us break down this great Rush song. I'm going to call it a great Rush song.
2: You yeah, sure. <laughs> Oh, You're welcome, Steve. No problem.
0: So when it came time to talk about Tai Shan, we couldn't think of anybody else but Jared to talk about Tai Shan. I mean, he was there. I mean, come on.
1: Right. He's the only person we know who was there.
0: He experienced it. He He, did. He climbed the 7,000 stairs. (laughs) He did climb them. It really is amazing how much physical endurance Jared has.
1: Yeah, I was going to say he's probably climbed all of them and wasn't even winded
0: at the top. Oh, yeah, I would be dead by the time I got to the top. (laughs)
1: 2,000 stairs, and I'd be gasping for breath.
0: (laughs) Forget 7,000. 1,000 would do me in. (laughs) 50. So one more thing on Jared, Jared, before we wrap things up with him. Yes. He had a bone to pick with me after the episode, (laughs) if you recall.
1: I do recall.
0: So I think we should play that for our listeners right now. Okay. Here it is.
2: Steve, I wanted I've been wanting to tell you this for a long time now. Uh-oh. Um, when I did the walk, uh-huh. and I got from, I left Nashville and, uh, the first, it was basically the first time I was going without the stroller and just backpack. And it was a really hot day, like 95 degrees. And I finally got to this town called Carthage, Tennessee, and got to my hotel room and I was listening to you guys, podcast. And, uh, I mean, I'm joking, but, like, I almost sprained an ankle when I heard you say that one of the Neville brothers produced a better version of Working Man than Rush. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) And I've been waiting. I know it's such a long time ago. But I have been waiting for you to, like, publicly apologize on the podcast, and you never have.
0: So what do you think of that, Jer?
1: I think that is an opinion.
0: <laughs> well, he said I should apologize. Do you think I should apologize?
1: Oh, I don't know if you should apologize, Steve. There are so many other things you should apologize for first before that.
0: Oh man. Well, I do apologize to all the Rush fans who I may have offended. It's going to be like a half-hearted apology. This is
1: i was just going to say, It's one of those one of those non-apology apologies.
0: If I offended you by saying Cyril Neville's version of Working Man is better than Rush's, I apologize. How's that? Right. Yeah, that's that's
1: great. <laughs> That'll satisfy everyone.
0: Let's move on to track ten on Hold Your Fire, Jer. It is, of course, High Water. So Joe, we're almost finished with Hold Your Fire. And the thing I found really interesting is when we were looking for guests to talk about these songs, almost everyone to a man and woman said, oh, I don't want to talk about high water. That's true. Right? Yeah. I don't know why. I have no idea why. But today's guest, when we called her, she said, I love high water. (laughs) Lead vocalist of the Spirit of Rush and previous guests on the Rush FanCast, episodes 76 and 96, Vicky Flyer-Hudson. Welcome back to the Rush FanCast.
3: Thanks, guys. Happy to be back and happy to talk about high water. Of course, who wouldn't be? I know. I'm, I'm kind of like shocked to, to hear what you just said. I mean, it's, it's a little sad to me. <laughs> right. Bums me out, you know? <laughs>
0: Well, we like to start out with a quote, and I've got a quote from Neil Peart. This is from 1988, shortly after Hold Your Fire came out. I always feel comfortable when I'm near water, be it the sound of the ocean or even the refreshing feeling of a dip in the swimming pool. I remember being in the center of one of Japan's biggest cities, and the noise pollution was incredible. But right in the middle was this garden with a small waterfall that ran over a bunch of stones. It was designed in such a way that if you sat by the waterfall, the sound of the water would drown out all the surrounding noises. I think the Japanese understand the therapeutic nature of water better than most. That's Neil on high water. Your thoughts, Vicky?
3: Yeah, I think that for me, this song originated in much the same way as it did for Neil with a sense of place and a sense of water. Uh, So I I resonate with that a lot and I haven't spent much time in Japan, but I think, you know, yeah, that resonates with me for sure. And you can almost feel the imagery that he's putting forward there and including in the song as well, not just in that quote. And that's why I love this song so much, because it puts you in that sense of place like right away.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And he begins the song with a reference to the first book of Genesis as well. Mm hmm. I'll read it to you in case you. everyone knows the first line, right? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Mm. And the first line, of course, is when the waters rose in the darkness. So he's bringing the idea of water back to the beginning of the earth, Mm -hmm. and how human beings are connected in some kind of primal way. And all life on Earth is connected in some kind of primal way back to water, Yeah, which I think is, you know, typical of Rush. It's your typical rock song.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) How we're all connected to. Yeah, exactly.
1: ACDC's done like at least three songs on the topic. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Yeah, I think that's why I love this song so much is because it does come back to something very primal. When I was thinking about today's discussion, I was thinking about how I started getting into Hold Your Fire about the time that I graduated high school. I hadn't seen Rush live yet. That would happen in 1990, but I was kind of going through this big shift in my life, graduating high school, and that album just seemed to really resonate. And I had dreamed of going to Hawaii my entire life. So I grew up in LA. I grew up around water. I used to spend many weekends walking Venice Beach and Uh, Marina Del Rey and all these places that were, you know, close to the water. But Hawaii was always this kind of mystical, magical place to me that held a special kind of place in my heart. And after graduating high school, I actually asked my parents if I could go with my best friend just by ourselves. And miraculously, they said yes. And we went to Hawaii, my my childhood best friend and I, and we'd saved money for years and, and we found this incredible deal. And we actually went. And on one of the first days I put the Hold Your Fire cassette into my Walkman and I put the headphones on and I waded out into the ocean and that song came on and it was like, I couldn't believe I was staring out at, you know, the waters in Hawaii and I was hearing this song and it just filled me with this elation. Like he says that elation as the water takes you home and I could feel that sort of primal connection, the flying spray of the ocean, the sense of memory and kind of how the water flows into our blood. And ever since then, the song has been associated for me with a sense of place, with water, like in the world. So I've I've listened to the song at practically every body of water that I've traveled to, from Pensacola Beach to the Andaman Sea in Thailand, I put that song on and it is elevated by being close to the water. It's almost like the place and the music kind of lift each other up and each one is made more whole by the other. So I think that what Neil said is really important because I think that song is not only tapping into that primal connection, but also just with a sense of place of being near water and, and heightening that sense of what water means to us.
0: And this phrase from the song sounds like it could have been written in Hawaii. Yeah. Springing from the weight of the mountains, like the heart of the earth would burst, flowing out from marble fountains in the dreams of a desert thirst. Yeah, just brilliant.
3: It is. It's almost like getting back to something inside of us that is both primal, like, you know, you said earlier, Jerry, but also timeless, because the song kind of marks how we evolved through water. Right. So we we kind of evolved through it, but yet we retained that connection to it and we were born of it and it remains part of us and our bodies are made mostly of water. And the oceans flow in our veins, as Neil wrote in Presto. Uh, so I think there's a tie there, too, that kind of connects back to that sense of something we were born of, but something that's timeless and that still remains with us to this day.
1: Yeah, And I'm always reminded, too, of natural science, too, mm. how the pool in natural science, you know, brings forth the whole all life and the future of societies and things like that. And it's basically what's happening in this song. And he takes it further back, I think, you know, when he's got something. One of my favorite images in the whole song is, is when something broke the surface just to see the starry dome.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I love it. And then he says, we still feel that relation. Yeah. When the water takes us home. And then later on, as you said, he says, we still feel that elation when the water takes us home.
3: Yeah. And, and I feel that same elation every time I am near a body of water and I put on high water. I mean, there's something about, you know, actually being present with water. I mean, if you put that song in your headphones and you go for a walk on the beach at sunset or maybe in the morning when the sun's kind of hitting the water and it's sparkling and, you know, there's a breeze and all that. I don't know how anyone can't be moved by that song. And it's funny, Steve, what you said about, you know, people not wanting to talk about the song when I found out that this song gets as much flack in the Rush community as it does, you cannot imagine how shocked I was because when I was first listening to it, the internet was not that prevalent. So I had no idea what people thought of the song. I mean, other than some of my Rush fan friends who liked it. But when I kind of more recently heard that it was somewhat maligned in the community, I was really stunned. The best analogy I could think of is you know, like you have a friend that you really like but then you find out from some other mutual friends that like that person is really annoying to all of them, but you think they're cool and you like hanging out.
0: <laughs> I have a theory though. I think the reason this song does not get love is because it comes after Tai Shan on the record. I think a lot of people don't like Tai Shan. And I think when they listen to hold your fire, when Tai Shan comes on, they put some other album on
3: interesting and they
0: just miss this song and they're missing a gem
3: yeah i had never thought of that but that could be yeah like they kind of hear Taishan and they're like eh, i'm done <laughs> yeah. but yeah i had to be really conscious not to let that influence my own relationship with the song because and it didn't really i mean nothing could but i kind of almost long for the time when i thought that everyone loved the song as much as i do <laughs> <laughs> i long for that innocent feeling again but I still listen to it. Uh, we have a river in our neighborhood and a lake, and uh, I still feel that elation. You know, I still do the same thing I've always done all these years to put the song on in headphones and walk near a body of water. And I'm hoping maybe some listeners will give that a try and see if that shifts their perspective on the song.
1: Yeah, and moving away just for a little bit from the lyrics, I think that the drums are definitely primal in their own way but also they kind of evoke bubbling streams right they kind of evoke the flowing of water
3: yeah yeah they're very yeah they are very primal and also the way that the music sort of comes back in when at the end when he says we still feel that elation there's that striking guitar yeah. that kind of comes in and right before that last verse and it's it's almost like waves just crashing you know yeah so the music very much echoes the lyrics, which is something I've always said that Alex Lifeson is so brilliant at is kind of mirroring what's going on in the the lyrics. I mean, they all are. But, you know, I think in this song, he really lends that sense of the water crashing on the shore. And it just gives me goosebumps every single time I listen to it without fail. And I've been listening to that song for how many years now? (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. When he first comes in, really, with that first big swoop or whatever, it definitely, like I yeah. said, sounds like a, a a wave crashing. But then the way that the guitar just kind of like fades out a little bit kind of reminds you of the spray that's just kind of yeah. dangling around you. You know what I mean? It's not as heavy as the initial wave, but it's definitely still there and, you know, striking you. So it's another fantastic performance by Alex, of course.
3: Absolutely. Of course. Oh, this This whole album, there's so many masterful things that he does on this whole album, and this is no exception. I love this song.
0: (laughs) We've talked a lot, Vicky, while talking about Hold Your Fire, about the fact that a lot of people thought that Alex kind of got lost on this record, but I, I really think it's the opposite. Don't you?
3: I do. I mean, as you both know, Mission is my favorite song, not just my favorite Rush song, my favorite song of all time ever in the history of time. And the solo on that song is one of the most sublime things I think he's ever done. And particularly the version on a show of hands, because it's allowed to continue on without fading out. And really, you can hear it in its full glory. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think he got lost in this album at all. I mean, some of the things he's doing under Getty singing in the verses uh, in songs like Open Secrets and Lock and Key are just just brilliant.
1: I think a lot of Rush fans at this point though were yearning you know for the for the muscle they were yearning yeah. for the early kind of alex playing and even though they allowed the rest of the band to like explore different things they still wanted that alex for some reason they still wanted the old alex in that spot and of course his playing wouldn't have fit so he he became a, sl- a slightly different player and it's 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 great for me i mean i love it this is the first album that came out when Steve and I became Rush fans. Like we oh, we wow. had seen okay. Power Windows the tour, but we didn't really become Rush fans until after that. So this was the first tour that we saw and first album that was released when we became Rush fans. And I've loved this album. So I never had that relationship with the older songs that a lot of older Rush fans did. So this this album is one of my favorites. It doesn't bother me at all that it's keyboard heavy or whatever.
3: Yeah, same here. And I think it just serves a different purpose than maybe some of the other albums. For me, it's always served the purpose of inward as opposed to some of the earlier stuff. Uh, that's much more outward in your face. You know, I can definitely even feel it when the band, when our band performs some of those older songs, it's all about outward. It's like, okay, let's do this sort of, you know, butt kicking punch in the face right. to our audience in a good way, of course. But, when it comes to the later material, I think there's more of a sense of coming inward and reflecting on these really substantial topics that Neil talks about in, in a lot of these songs, including high water. And there's also a sense of uh, evoking certain emotions. So whereas the older stuff tended to evoke this really, you know, like, a, yeah, this kind of punch in the face kind of emotion, like just hard rock, you know, it's great. It's amazing. And a lot of the lyrics were very substantial back then. But these songs, I think, tend to just evoke a different spectrum of emotion. And I think we need them both, you know, to to sort of complete the Rush experience. So when I listen to Hold Your Fire or High Water, any of the songs on this album, I come more inward and, uh, you know, get more goosebumps, I guess you could say, from these songs. It's just a different experience.
0: And speaking of evoking emotions, I think the most underrated part of this song is Getty's vocals. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're so emotional, so powerful, especially in the final chorus when he says, take me home at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just get tears in your eyes.
3: I know. Yeah. And I do. Yeah. he He so carefully builds the song vocally from the beginning to the end. So it kind of starts out a little bit you know, sort of softer, like when the waters rose in the darkness, let's kind of, you know, vocally, this is a little bit tamer. And then right. toward the end, it's just really swelling into this crescendo. And yeah, it's amazing. And the line, if you really, if you listen carefully to the line in the chorus too, it's, it's just fantastic. Yeah, There's so much going on.
1: I think a lot of uh, Getty's emotion has to do with the line in a driving rain of redemption. Yeah. Because water plays an important part in a lot of religions. Yes. For purifying this and making this sinless and cleaning this from a spiritual point of view. Yeah. So that's when they're saying, you know, when he says, in a driving rain of redemption, the water takes me home. It's almost just like I'm finally clean. My my sins have been forgiven and I can go to the, the big home in the sky or whatever. Not that the guys in the band believe that, but it certainly is a sentiment that comes across with a line like, in a driving rain of redemption. And Getty is selling it full, you know, 100 percent in.
3: Yeah, I think what really strikes me about what you just said is how, you know, um, the band is kind of known for being like non-religious or whatever. But as Donna Halper has pointed out many times on the uh, Rush Fans Instagram shows that she's been on with me as a guest as well sometimes, is that they were still open to learning about different philosophies and they respected people's beliefs so you you see how these themes do emerge in some of their songs maybe more from a philosophical point of view but they're still present yeah and uh, she's reiterated that a number of times that you know they have always been very respectful um, as human beings to people's varying beliefs and uh, yeah you can see some of these themes coming through here even if it's not from a purely religious perspective
0: And is there a better way to end this song and to end this album really with just those final words? Take me home.
3: Yeah. Yeah. The water takes me home. There is not.
0: (laughs) Well, Vicky, thank you for taking us home and helping us wrap up Hold Your Fire. We really appreciate it.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: So, Jared, these guests were so good on our Hold Your Fire episodes. I'm gonna call it a 10-way tie. A ten-way tie, yes. All the guests were great, but Vicky. As usual, she brings it. She does. And she loves high water, which many people don't. That's true. And, you know,
1: we asked some people to do high water and they were like, it's not my favorite song. And then when I asked Vicky, she was like, I love this song. It's my favorite song. One of my favorite songs.
0: Yeah. Well, her favorite song is Mission. Like I said, everybody wanted to right. talk about Mission, but she was equally excited to talk about high water, which we are very thankful for. Yeah. So, Jar, what do you think? We did five episodes on Hold Your Fire. We talked about 10 songs. We brought back, what did we bring back eight guests and brought in two new guests to talk about Hold Your Fire. How do you think it went? I think it went great, Steve. I think it's a, it's
1: a good idea to revisit these albums.
0: One of our listeners said, uh, this is a new format. What do you think? Is this a new format for us? Um, it depends on how good the ideas
1: are going forward.
0: Well, I think it's something we, we can revisit for sure. I don't know if it's a new format, but we could certainly do it again.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Do you know what the third album that we did? We did our f- It was the debut album, was it not? No, the obviously the first two episodes we ever did were on Power Windows. The third and the fourth episodes were Hold Your Fire, and episodes 5 and 6 were Caress of Steel. Oh, Caress of Steel. So, if we were going to do this again, the next one would be Caress of Steel. Wow.
0: That's interesting. Email us at therushcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think we should do next. Should we have guests back to talk about caress of steel? Let us know. What do you think, Jar?
1: I definitely think we have to have a guest on. We already talked about it for 40 minutes on our own. We need somebody else, some other insights into the song.
0: How about Mark Irwin? He would do it.
1: Yeah, he probably would. I think he would. He'd talk about the whole album.
0: Probably. He knows more about caress of steel than you and me put together. That's for sure. (laughs) So Jer, one more thing before we go, we have to talk about the concert that was just announced a few weeks ago, the tribute to Taylor Hawkins that Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson are going to be part of. Really cool.
1: Yeah, it is really cool. I tried to get tickets for both the Wembley and the LA shows, but I was shut out of both.
0: I saw online. A lot of Rush fans were very upset. They could not get tickets, but I also saw a few that said they did get tickets. So People got in somehow.
1: Yeah, people got in. I mean, the interest is through the roof because I'm assuming, like me, I assume that Getty and Alex are going to play together on stage.
0: Right, but I don't necessarily think that's the case. Do you think it's possible that they would want to take the spotlight away from what this is really about, a tribute to Taylor Hawkins, by appearing on stage together for the first time since... Rush stop playing.
1: Well, I would think that they would appear together to play in Taylor's memory. It would be a, a huge, like once in a lifetime, or I guess twice in a lifetime, since there's two shows, right? chance to see them. And they played with Taylor. They played YYZ with Taylor at a Foo Fighters show. So maybe they'll do YYZ.
0: Who knows? That would be cool. And it is what Taylor probably would have wanted to see. So,
1: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. But who plays drums with them? That's the big question. Uh, yeah, that's a great question.
1: I don't know who would play drums
0: with them. Stuart Copeland? Could he handle YYZ, you think? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> could, I mean. I'm sure he could. He probably could, but
1: his style is so different.
0: Would be cool, though. Yeah, it would be. Very cool.
1: So, Steve, one more thing before we go. Okay. I was invited onto a podcast called Drumming Up Conversation. Oh, yeah, you told me about this. That sounds cool. Yeah, we talked about Neil and his effect on all of us. Justin and Andrea are the hosts of Drumming Up Conversation, and it was a a good time. It was nice talking to someone else for a change about Rush.
0: So you could find it on any podcast app, I assume, Drumming Up Conversation. That's a great name for a podcast. I like that.
1: As far as I know. Yeah, I found it on Spotify, so I'm assuming it's everywhere Fine
0: podcasts are found. Alright, cool. So drum up that podcast, find that one. And you can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, find us at the Rush cast Bombard Jerry with emails, please, at therushcast at gmail.com. The base intro and outro, that's Lex, of course, doing high water. He's incredible. And Jerry hope you have a quote to wrap this up for us. Wrap up the five episodes with the quote of the century. Let's hear it. Oh boy. I'll
1: try. When something left the ocean to crawl high above the foam, we still feel that elation when the water takes us home. In a driving rain of redemption, the water
0: takes me home. Thanks for taking us home, Jer.
1: (laughs) Oh, yes. Nice. Yeah,
0: you took us home, baby. (laughs) Have a good one. Bye.
2: (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.